So if you're a victim of terrorism, how long do the memory last? Hi, this is Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Russell, Ontario, Canada. You're listening to Quick Hits, podcasts about national security and public safety. I think for most of us, when we think about terrorism, write about terrorism, maybe do analysis on terrorism, we focus on the act itself. Who was responsible? How did they succeed in their plans? Why didn't law enforcement or security intelligence stop it? What does it mean for society, etc., etc., etc.? We rarely, if ever, think of the victims of terrorism, how they're feeling, what the impact of the act of terrorism was on their lives, what they think about the whole affair. Now we move on to other stuff. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, you know, and look at the old squirrel, something else to pay attention to. This came to my mind as we're looking at the trial in Belgium for uh, the terrorist back in 2016 who carried out a couple of attacks at both the Brussels airport as well as a train station in which 32 people were killed and an untold wounded. And this is a big deal for Belgium. This is a big trial, probably one of the biggest trials in their history. And the question becomes, um, what kind of trial is it going to be? Who will testify? Will the terrorists say anything in their so-called defense? Because if, even though there were suicide bombers in, in Belgium, there were people behind it, logistics, etc., etc. I came across an interesting piece in the uh, Brussels uh, VRT News, which is a FlandersNews.be. I'll put a link to it in the notes. One of the victims of the attack, his name is Walter Benjamin. He was standing in line at Brussels Airport for a flight to Tel Aviv, and at... 7.58 in the morning, a terrorist who was also standing at the check-in blew himself up. Uh, Mr. Benjamin lost his right leg, and six years on, after years of physical therapy, it's the psychological impact. I want to quote from him, from Mr. Benjamin. Quote, physically, I can get about, I can walk, I exercise a lot in order to stay fit. Psychologically, I will never be okay. There are dark days, days on which I feel bad. I'm not somebody with sadness on my sleeve. But when I'm alone, I can burst out into tears. I hyperventilate or anxiety takes over. It happens in the airplane, on the beach. I've had panic attacks in the street, in the car. My sleep is disturbed. I no longer take sleeping pills. That's addictive. I only take high doses of melatonin. I don't think about the trial. For me, this is a big show, a circus. It won't yield anything for the perpetrators, the general public, the victims. The guys that exploded their bombs are dead. Salah Abdul Salam. One of, the, one of the supporters will never leave prison. What good will the trial do? I know that lots of victims will have high expectations, especially psychologically, but I don't have high expectations. Will I give evidence? I don't know. I don't know what I can add to what would be already before the, the court. The perpetrators are standing trial, but not the brain behind the outfit. Abdul Salam won't say anything new. What difference will it make? We won't get the answers we need. What sentences will they get? Abdul Salam and Abrini already got life in connection with the Paris attacks. The others will hardly be punished. Three, five, eight years. The people who were injured got life. The people who were killed will remain dead. Their families got life. That's a very powerful testimony from somebody who survived the Brussels of Terrorist attacks six years ago. And I think it bears on a very, very important issue that when the rest of us move on to something else, those who were injured, in this case, Mr. Benjamin lost one leg, 
are never free of the terror. They're never free of the horror, of the memories, of the pain of what they went through. But we as society, we don't seem to care. A dear friend of mine uh, lost his mother on the bombing of the Air India flight back in 1985, which was planned and perpetrated by Canadian Sikh terrorists. I remember talking to him about, you know, what does that mean to lose your mother? He was a very young boy at the time, or a young man, when, when his mother was taken in that terrorist attack. What does that do to a person? One realizes that a bunch of terrorists in British Columbia, the western part of Canada, have decided, you know what? Your mom's life is expendable. We have a point to make. We have a grievance we're trying to write. And we're going to put bombs on this airplane and take out 329 people because we're angry at the Indian government for their lack of acceptance that Sikh people should have an independent homeland called Khalistan. And because the Indian army raided the Golden Temple at Amritsar in 1984, I don't know what the casualty count was, India, the Indian government must be punished for having taken that action. And because Air India is the national carrier for the Indian government, we think it's okay to bomb the airplane, despite the fact there are probably nobody on the airplane that's even linked to the Indian government. Just average Canadians, average dual citizens, average citizens of India, taking a flight to Heathrow on their way back to India or their way to India for the first time. And they were simply, you know, cannon fodder in the so-called war that Islamists or Sikh terrorists are carrying out against the rest of us. Are we okay with that? Are we okay with people that are trying to pick up the pieces of their lives? Do we not remember them? I'm thinking too of Nathan Cirillo, who was killed, well, more than what now, eight years ago, in October the 22nd of 2014, he was shot dead by a jihadi, uh, Michael Zahab Debo, who was an ISIS wannabe, or Libyan extremist wannabe. When he, and uh, Corporal Cirillo was performing honor guard at the National Cenotaph in Ottawa when Zahab Debo killed him with a shotgun. Now, Zahab Debo himself was later killed when he tried to rush Parliament, so that's, that's good. A dead terrorist is a good terrorist, as I always say. But I can't stop thinking about Nathan Cirillo's little, little boy. I remember seeing him at the funeral. There was a sort of a state funeral for Nathan Cirillo. And his little boy couldn't have been more than, I don't know, seven or eight years old. A little older than my oldest grandson. And if memory serves me correct, uh, Mr. Cirillo, uh, Corporal Cirillo, was a single father. Now his boy is growing up without his dad. Because some asshole thought that taking out a Canadian soldier at the National Cenotaph was going to make some kind of a statement. It was going to somehow make up for all the ills and sins and bad decisions and bad actions that the Canadian military and writ large the Canadian government had done against Islam in God knows how many years in how many different countries. So this little boy has to suffer because his dad was a part of the military, simply performing his, his role as an honor guard at the National Cenotaph. The victims matter. We have to listen to the victims. I remember getting back to the theme of the Brussels airport, attending a conference once in Niagara Falls, so in the Niagara Peninsula of Canada, province of Ontario, and one of the survivors of the Brussels attack, like Mr. Benjamin, uh, was there. And he also was, he didn't lose any limbs, but he was very gravely wounded in his legs because of what happened. He was an American who happened to be in Belgium at the time. 
And he told his story about his painful recovery. Now, I know what people are going to say. You know, well, lots of Muslims have suffered because of is what Israel is doing or what U.S. drone strikes do or airstrikes. And you're absolutely right. This is why I argued in my fourth book, An End to the War on Terrorism. We've got to stop thinking this as a war because many of the victims are innocent civilians. But just because you're critical of U.S. military policy or Israeli policy in the West Bank and Gaza doesn't mean it's okay to say the jihadis are right. They're simply evening the score or rebalancing the scales. That's not the way you're supposed to do things. One wrong does not right another wrong. They're both wrong. I just wish that the people that suffer uh, either physical wounds or more likely psychological wounds, or in the case of Mr. Benjamin, uh, both in the aftermath of the attack in 2016 in Brussels, get more of a stage get more of a voice out there to remind us this is why we have security intelligence and law enforcement agencies that try to stop terrorism before it happens rather than mopping up the blood and dealing with the injured after it happens. So next time you think about terrorism and you either dismiss it or don't express any interest in it, think of those who suffered from it, those who lost limbs, those who can't sleep anymore, those who can't go into crowds because they're fearful they may be victim of another terrorist attack by another suicide bomber or some coward leaving an improvised explosive device. Probably something that you might want to put in your back pocket next time you talk about terrorism. Anyhow, that's what I think. Be curious what your reactions to are to when we talk about the victims of terrorist attacks. Do they get enough attention? Do they, are they allowed to, to tell their story enough? Love to hear your feedback. You can reach me on email borealisrisk at gmail.com or on Twitter at borealisaves. You can also find me on LinkedIn and Facebook. If you like the content and want to get more of it, go to the website, borealisthreatandrisk.com, hit the subscribe button, get free access to all the podcasts and blogs, longer podcasts, which I entitled Canadian Intelligence Day, which are interviews with other people who've worked in national security from a practitioner perspective. Love to hear your feedback on this and other matters, perhaps some ideas for future podcasts. Love to hear from you. We'll talk again soon. Until then. Stay safe.